When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode of the podcast, it's world-class wing shooting with David Radulovich. Welcome to the show for episode number 77. podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. New to Onyx this season, you can now share tracks, waypoints, tree stands, truck locations, camp details. You can pretty much share everything in Onyx. Now, when you share a waypoint, it's no longer just a waypoint. It's going to retain all of the information that you have put into that waypoint on your phone and give it to your friend, hunting partner, family member, etc. 
Another awesome feature from Onyx Hunt. Check out Onyx Maps today and use the promo code PUP20. That's PUP20 for 20% off your subscription to Onyx Hunt. The Project Up and Podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, the finest rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience located in northern Minnesota. You haven't experienced grouse camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge. Find out more about the Pine Ridge experience at pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dogtra Callers. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Find out more about Dogtra Callers and all of their products by visiting dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Since it's a Yukonuba Fueled Up Friday... I figured I'd let you all know that Yukonuba is fueling my bird dog this season for the first year. And so far, we love it. It's a high-quality food. My dog loves it, and he performs well on it. I don't know what else you could ask for in a premium performance dog food. You owe it to yourself and your bird dog to check it out. Yukonuba premium performance dog food at yukonuba.com. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality handcrafted premium rubber boots made with 85% natural gum rubber which translates to durability and no cracking if you've worn rubber boots for any length of time cheap rubber boots that is you probably are familiar with them cracking and developing small holes which lets water in which is the exact opposite point of wearing a rubber boot not gonna happen with gumleaf boots head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code pup10 that's pup10 for 10 percent off your order from gumleafusa.com And by Gordian Sons Outfitters, when your boots have the proper tread, you never notice how slippery it is. When your hunting jacket features the right liner, your body temperature won't enter your mind. When your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement, you won't think twice about swinging through that quail. At Gordian Sons, they want you to focus solely on the hunt, not the performance of your gear. That's why the Gordy family has personally curated the best-in-class gear from around the globe for their store. Find out more about the gear, the guides, the expertise, all of it, by visiting GordianSons.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One-piece roto-mold design, frame steel door, reduced pricing structure. What more do I need to say? Get over to Dakota283.com, check out their kennel selection today, and buy one. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Silas M. Silas was kind enough to leave us a review on iTunes, and for that, we thank him. Project Upland t-shirt headed Silas's way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner. All you got to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that by leaving the podcast a rating or a review on iTunes or any podcast app. Subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast post, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, don't forget, September is still Public Lands Month, and BHA wants you to be a member. And for your contribution, you will receive a free public landowner t-shirt. Head over to backcountryhunters.org. Sign up today for 25 bucks. Get a public landowner t-shirt. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it kind of feels like hunting season is in full swing. If your season's not open yet, I'm sure it will be soon. Hold on tight. Until then, we've got a good podcast for you today. We are joined by world-class sporting clay shooter David Radulovich. David is a young guy. He's a very intelligent guy, and he is a phenomenal shotgun shooter. You don't need me to tell you that. You can check out his resume, look up David Radulovich, and you will see his reputation as a shooter precedes him. But more importantly, David 
is a really cool guy, and I very much enjoyed speaking with him on this episode of the podcast. If I learned one thing from talking to David, it's that when he talks about shooting shotguns, you better listen up, because he has a wealth of information about shooting not only sporting clays, but upland birds as well. We talk about his upland hunting story, his journey from target shooting into hunting. We talk about shotguns, we talk about wing shooting, and much more. I know you're going to enjoy this one, and hopefully you learn something that helps you improve your shooting as well. Without further ado, let's welcome to the Project Upland podcast, David Radulovich. All right, David, welcome to the Project Upland podcast. How are you this afternoon, my friend? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for asking. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I'm super pumped to have you for today's episode, and I think the listeners are going to enjoy this one. First question I got for you, David, based on something I was listening to yesterday, do I need to get a shot cam? <laughs> it's actually a pretty good question, and I'm actually surprised to hear you bring that up, but it's it's a really good, uh, I mean, it's actually pretty pertinent to actually up and hunting or hunting in general the shotgun is really cool uh, in that it really does help a lot with target shooting um but i've actually used it a lot in my own personal hunting really uh, because it, yeah it's it's fantastic it's probably not so much of a learning aid for any hunting uh you know capabilities for me i use it mostly to help teach people and play target shooting but uh, if you want to get some really awesome videos um, out in the field hunting birds, I don't really think there's a there's not anything close. I mean, I've used the GoPros, I've used uh, some other gun video attachments, and uh, shot cam is pretty much second to none. Awesome. So for the listeners, I'm I'm kind of alluding to the fact that you recently interviewed. Well, not necessarily recently. A couple months ago, you interviewed. David Stewart, uh, the founder and CEO of ShotCam. Um, you may not know, listeners may not know if they haven't been listening, but we did interview Emily Stewart of ShotCam uh, pro- probably probably over a year ago. So we did talk about the ShotCam on the podcast, and so I'm familiar with it. But yeah, it's it's becoming more and more popular. You're starting to see the videos on Instagram and YouTube, and it's really cool. And it's an interesting thing that we've talked about in this podcast before in that when you shoot, uh, you know, a guy like me goes out and shoots and I miss a clay, there's almost zero feedback as far as where did I miss the clay in front, behind, above, below, that sort of thing. Whereas a shot cam, when you're, when you're out there practicing, you're getting great feedback. And it was really interesting to hear you talk to David because you were able, you're able to, as you're coaching people, like the amount of mm-hmm. information that you get out of the shot cam was just it's it's like really high quality it is yeah the um i mean you know we in the podcast on the behind the break we we talked to him a lot about it um and there's a lot of things that you can pick up on watching your own videos that you wouldn't really think uh to look for like gun can't or uh bad mounts bad setup all those types of things a lot of people when they get the shot cam they really just kind of initially think of it as being something to help you learn leads or at least see different leads and sight pictures on targets. But there's so much more information available there. If you, if you know what to look for. Um, and that's a good part. Po- if you do have a, a shot camera, if you're looking at getting one, that's a really good podcast to, to go through and kind of learn a little bit more about David Stewart's an awesome guy. He's a student of mine and uh, it's a, it's a really awesome product. 
Yeah, it definitely is. And I would encourage folks to go listen to that as well. Number one, because Behind the Break is a good podcast. I've, I've mentioned it on here before, and that's kind of how you and I actually connected, which is cool. But there yeah. there really is a lot more to the shot cam than it. It's not just a camera that they strap on the barrel of your shotgun. I mean, there is a lot of engineering and design into it in the sense that, and David talks about that when you interviewed him, he talks about how they they tried to design it so you can, it looks like, what you're looking at when you are actually seeing the clays through your eyes. I mean, there's just, there's so much into that camera that especially for somebody like you at the professional level, both shooting and coaching, it makes a lot of sense. But again, for people that, for people that are interested in taking their shooting to the next level, I have, I don't have one. I haven't used one yet. Um, I'm, I'm again, (laughs) that's kind of why I asked about it, but I'm, I suspect that, uh, there's a lot of value to be gained by, by, uh, checking out the shot cam. Yeah, absolutely. I can't recommend it enough. I'm I'm actually really excited. This is going to be the first upland hunting season I've had with it. Uh, with an, as stupid as this sounds, with an attachment for my hunting gun. So uh, I don't, you know, want to carry around a, a 12 gauge for you know 20 miles a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm really excited to get that out there and and check it out and get some really good. You know, I, when I go hunting, I like to put some videos together for my own personal use and fun and send to friends and stuff like that. So. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. That was one thing I did want to ask you about it because we, you know, we have been considering how we might utilize the shot cam via some of the work we do at project Uplands, which, you know, certainly some interesting, uh, opportunities there. And I was going to ask you about, I mean, the camera's not small, but I know of course that they designed it to not be so heavy that it's going to throw off gun mount stuff. I mean, do you think it would be, it'll be not, not too big of a deal on your Upland gun? Yeah, that is a really good question. I mean, um, it really depends on, in my opinion, what you're, what type of upland hunting you're doing. You know, sure. like uh, if you're one of the hardcore guys that hunts public land and is out, you know, in the middle of nowhere and walking around, like I said, 20 miles a day, uh, in terms of carrying the gun, uh, I'm not sure. I had, Like I said, I've never used it before. I don't think it would really be that too big of a deal. Uh, in terms of the mounting process of the gun, if it's going to throw anything off, you know, if you if you get really analytical into gun balance and gun movement, stuff like that, the, the position of weight on your gun sure. influences the movement more. So um, the cool thing about the shot cam is uh, it's kind of designed to be not necessarily at the end of your barrel, but closer towards the end of the forend um, on your gun. So, you know, the further back you have that attachment on your barrel, the less it's going to influence movement. So when I take it out on a... Uh, an upland gun um i'm definitely going to bring it you know as far back into the barrel as possible and uh you know the other cool thing is you can get a side-by-side attachment for for those of you guys that like to do that but you know the um yeah i mean i don't think it would influence too much of the movement or anything uh and for the weight aspect of it if you're you know hunting hunting clubs or stuff like that it's definitely not an issue yeah yeah. Yeah. That was one of the first thing I asked Emily about is, do you have a side-by-side attachment? Cause I, exactly. I was interested in that. And I know a lot of other people would be too, but yeah. and they, they do. Yeah. I know that for sure they have a 12 and a 20 gauge side-by-side attachment. I don't know if they have every gauge, but they're, uh, they're working on right. that. I think as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're way ahead of ourselves there talking about the shot cam, but it is a cool product, and and we had interviewed Emily, and you'd interviewed David, so I thought we'd start there. But man, we got to learn a little That's bit cool. more about David Radulovich, man. Let's let's hear <laughs> let's hear a little bit about 
kind of, I mean, gosh, I, I can look at your, your Instagram bio and I see things like world champion and world cup champion. And I don't know how much you, you want to talk about that stuff, but just give, give people an idea of what your career looks like as far as a shooter, a coach. And then if you want to work behind the break into it, like kind of everything you're up to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always kind of, um, embarrassing, I guess, <laughs> talking about my resume, but the, uh, I know it shouldn't be, but it is, but the, uh, I mean, put it this way. I've been, I've been shooting for a long time and I've been lucky enough to win a lot of tournaments and, uh, and garner a lot of titles. Uh, but you know, honestly, I think the reason why I've been able to do that is really because of how much I love doing it. Uh, I love shooting before I love, you know, winning, and so it makes it easy to practice, it makes it easy to train, it makes it easy to travel and, and compete. And uh, it just it's all love uh, for the game and everything like that. And, and, it, and so it kind of really, in a way, it takes the pressure away and makes it makes it uh, very enjoyable. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you really want to look at my resume, you can you can uh, I guess I have it on my website. But um, as far as, as what I do, basically, I mean, my job is, if you can call it a job, is, is traveling to compete and um, do shooting clinics. And I'd like to <laughs> be nice if I could figure out a way to make part of my job hunting as well. But uh, <laughs> I haven't quite figured that one out yet. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, basically how my, uh, what my career is, I guess, is during the off season, or the hunting season, I'm, I'm really traveling around at, at different parts of the country, uh, doing a lot of instruction. So I have about, uh, I think the last time I checked in a little over 400 students wow. for clay tart that, and that ranges all from very beginning of just picking up a shotgun and never doing it before to people that have won titles at the world level. And so that's really interesting to me and it's fun and it's almost like every individual client is a puzzle that you got to put together and and try to see how good you can make it and so i work on that a lot uh and then in between the times that i'm teaching basically the other thing i'm doing is just traveling from shoot to shoot all throughout the world and so you know you try to put together as many different things as you can uh revenue streams i guess to to keep you know the dream alive of being able to just travel to compete but uh Unfortunately, shooting is not like professional golf where I can't uh, win millions of dollars pulling the trigger. So <laughs> you got to work and teach a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that I, again, I, we interviewed Andy Duffy a few months ago and we talked a little cool. bit about sporting clays and kind of where, how that came up. And, and all of my questions when I was asking him, they were all based on listening to behind the break because I, yeah, he had some good episodes. He did. He did. And, and I, I don't know. I think I, I think somebody on Upland Journal, it's an Upland Hunting Forum. Um, I think they recommended Behind the Break, and so I was driving down to Pheasant Fest, which was in Schaumburg, Illinois, essentially Chicago, mm-hmm. back in February, and I put on, and I knew Andy because I had met Andy Duffy through RGS, so I put on an Andy Duffy episode of Behind the Break, and I pretty much listened to like just nonstop Behind the Break all the way down and all the way back from Chicago a couple of days later. Yeah, that was like a crash course in sporting clays, <laughs> and and through listening to that, I I picked up a lot. Like you guys in the episodes that I was listening to, you talked a lot about kind of the profession of sporting clays and how it's, it's kind of an open thing. And it's, it's definitely not like professional golf. You know, you guys are, you guys are paying your own way a lot of the time. And 
you know, you work to get sponsors and stuff, but it's, uh, it's still, I guess it's not a young industry, but it's just not, you know, there's not money pouring into it like that, but you guys are all, again, you're competing and you're doing this for the love of shooting. And obviously you're trying to win and you're trying to figure out how to make a career out of it. And fortunately for you, I mean, you have a knowledge and a skill set that is valuable to other folks. So I think it's really cool that you can offer that and you can obviously benefit from that in return. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, the, the really interesting thing is trying to, to find a, and Andy's actually really good at it because I, I believe actually he was the chief instructor or held some position uh, in the rough grouse society. Yeah. Uh, he would go up and do a clinic, like for sure. He would do a clinic at their national hunt and do a bunch of stuff for them for quite a while. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun to teach people. Um, and because, you know, at the end of the day, you're influencing the future of the game. You know, if, if, uh, instruction in the shooting sports was not good and, and the information wasn't readily avail- available uh, and it was bad information then you know sometimes you get people that get a bad experience shooting or trying it the first time and then they don't want to try it anymore you know and uh, especially now with the way that the demographics are changing and uh, with with younger people you know less younger people coming into shooting sports and the hunting sports it's really important to be able to to push that generation forward. And so I, I do a lot of, I've tried to focus a lot of my teaching in youth shooting. Um, and so I do a lot of stuff with the youth shooting organizations like the, uh, the SCTP and 4-H, um, especially down South, like in Texas and Georgia, Florida. But yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. And Andy's a good friend of mine too. So, and he's a, a absolute wealth of information and a, and a legend in the game, uh, especially back in the day. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a he's a really good guy. I had the good fortune of meeting him, and and we uh, we did talk about you. And he mentioned that you were a big hunter when when I mm-hmm. interviewed him, and that was kind of what sort of got my wheels turning. That I eventually wanted to get you on this podcast, but you know, I didn't ask you. Uh, usually, I I think I forgot the last couple episodes, which is just a little on air production there. But wh- where are you from, man? Put us on the map. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, I was basically born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Uh, and but generally, when someone asks me that question, I I tell them really I live out of my truck in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell that by your Instagram account. You've been around the world a little <laughs> yeah, bit. <laughs> it's just all over the place. And uh, but yeah, so no, I mean I grew up in in uh, northeastern Ohio, um, and uh, you know the more that I travel and and uh, see different places and go to new cities, the more I I love the four seasons and and uh and everything like that and you know i i uh I, you're from up in duluth right? yeah yep you got it yeah so both of us uh enjoy the harsh winters generally yes, but, yes uh, sir <laughs> but, no, but no so it's a it's a good place to live unfortunately hunting wise it's not that great unless you're talking about uh waterfowl but uh but no it's it's good all right we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about shooting and we're gonna talk about hunting and and we're gonna mix it up here a little bit but what came yep. first shooting clays or hunting so i I'd probably say uh that i might be one of the rare people that you guys talk to uh even in clay target shooting that we talked to uh, for our podcast that would say that i started in clay target shooting and went into hunting okay um but uh so i mean the i started basically shooting clay targets the first time i ever did it when i was eight and a half years old uh and actually we were going to go we were we were trying to go skiing, uh, up in, uh, Pennsylvania and long story short, we couldn't do that. And they had a sporting clays range there. If anybody that listens to this is familiar with Nemecol and Woodlands, that's where we were at. 
And so we tried it and I absolutely fell in love with it. I, I basically, my dad asked me if I wanted to continue doing it. And I said, yes. And basically when we got home in a week, he bought me a new gun and I went out and shot the state championship and just fell in love. So I did that. And it wasn't until I was about 14 years old. So almost six years later that I, I went hunting for the first time. And then when I did that, then I really realized what I was missing. And it was, uh, then basically all my free time got, got sucked away. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, I started with clay target shooting, went into hunting and I'd say now my year pretty much is split about half and half. Normally during the summer months, uh, I'm traveling and teaching and competing, uh, for clay target shooting. And then I'm basically after our national championship finishes in October, I put my, my tournament gun down, uh, put it in the safe. Don't touch it again until like April. Uh, and it's just strictly hunting for me. Wow. And it's a good way for me to um, kind of recharge the batteries from for competition. And, you know, because I if I, I really believe if I were to do one thing all year round, just my competitive edge wouldn't be there. You know, I, I'm the way that my I guess the psychology of my mental game is that uh, I like to perform at high level tournaments and it's easier to do that when I don't have to do it all the time, you know? So it's a good way to kind of reset and uh, go into a tournament and, and be ready to go. But, uh, and then also really enjoy uh, the hunting months of the year and, and the beauty of being outside in the, in the winter. And, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty fun. I'm, I'm up until this winter recently, actually uh, I kind of made my winter job like uh, waterfowl guiding a little bit. So uh, but that was, as you might know, that was more for fun than it is money because there's not much uh, in, in that. <laughs> but, sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah. No, that's that's interesting, and I think you know it makes sense that you you said that you you appreciate the four seasons. So I can kind of see how you know your like you said your mental approach. It you it's more of an ebb and flow where you want to compete for a really high yeah. level and then sort of switch gears for a little bit and maybe maybe mm-hmm. try something new try something different i get the sense that you're a person that probably likes to learn new stuff and and get out of your comfort zone quite a bit oh absolutely yeah i mean being challenged in something is is always fun uh you know the yeah i mean you you nailed that on the head <laughs> <laughs> well there is one thing that i picked up from listening to you and do you golf david so that's another good story. Um, <laughs> I used to in in high school. Uh, I competed on our golf team. We were really good. I went to a really small private school, um, and we came real close to winning the state championship. Um, had a really good golf handicap, and then as soon as I got into college, uh, I kind of put it down. And I'd say I get to not because I wanted to, but just you know things get in the way. Uh, but I, I probably could golf maybe about bogey golf right now. Uh, I get to play three or four times a year, but uh, I still absolutely love it. I mean, I I miss doing it as much as I used to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I picked up from you because, I mean, certainly there are parallels between shooting and golf and you draw on them a lot. And I I always gravitated towards that because I, like you... I love golf. I'm not as good as you. I can tell <laughs> from your, from your description, <laughs> but I feel, I actually feel like I have a pretty good skill set for golf, but I just, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if mentally I'm, I'm ever able to like put together the consistency and, and that yeah. probably is uh it's probably coming into my shooting a little bit, but I do love it. Yeah. I love analyzing the mental approach. I just, I just, I have a real fascination with that stuff and I can tell that you do as well. Yeah. You know, I try to, when you're trying to, you know, compete and win world championships, 
you got to look for every little tiny detail that you can to sure. give you another half of 1% in your proficiency, you know, because if you get half of 1% in a, in a world championship, that's one target out of 200 targets. And that's the difference between winning and losing, you know? So what I like to do is not just in golf, but in all sports, I really try to study really good athletes. Yeah. Uh, and, but it just happens to be that I just get drawn towards golfers because of what you said, the similarities in the game, not just, not just mentally. I mean, the mental game is almost identical between golf and shooting, but, but the, the mechanical and the technical aspect of golf is very similar to shooting as well. I mean, you're not swinging a club, but there's so much about body mechanics and balance and movement and tension and, and all those things that really go hand in hand with shooting. And so if you look at, you know, the philosophies or things that, some of the really good golfers stress um, in their play and in their game, you really can learn a lot uh, about the shooting sports. And so I've, I've tried to do that as much as I can. Uh, and then apart from that, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful game, you know, being somebody that loves sports and competes in sports. I appreciate athleticism and, and uh, competitors, you know, and so it's fun to watch, stories unfold and matches and see if I can learn something from, you know, so every once in a while, I'll try to go to a PGA event and, and, uh, see if I can learn anything by watching the pros. Yeah. You and me both, man. No, that's, that's really cool. And fortunately for you, the, you know, we talked about there not necessarily being a ton of money in shooting, but in golf, of course there is a mm -hmm. ton of money, but that, oh, know, yeah. that in turn fuels, sort of the sports psychology and a lot of the science that I know that you look into and you work into your game. I mean, that's kind of a good avenue for you. Yeah. Well, that's, you're hundred percent right. I mean, there's so much money in advertising and golf that there's been a lot of research in, in how to make, how to improve in that game. And so because of the similarities between golf and shooting and the lack of funding and shooting, you know, nobody is going out and doing you know, sports psychology studies on shooters, you know, if they are that nobody's called me for it, but, uh, <laughs> well, they should, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, but it would be nice. But, um, but you know, so th there's been so much of that in, and not just in, in, the, in, the, uh, sports psychology aspect of that game, but like looking into nutrition and sleep study, the yes. sleep science and, and, uh, hydration and all those things, you know, there's been so much, there's so much science in the sport of golf, uh, that, you know, me being somebody that's trying to make a living and shooting targets, uh, you know, it'd be foolish for me not to pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we stray too far from this, I want to make note of something that I think is quite interesting. You talked about, you found sporting clay or shooting clays before you found hunting. And that is kind mm -hmm. of an interesting opportunity right now, because like you mentioned youth shooting, you know, high school trap shooting, especially here in my state of Minnesota, oh, but I know it's, I know it's widespread. Huge. It's blowing up everywhere. And everybody is looking at those kids who have now learned how to safely use firearms and maybe they haven't had a chance to hunt. Everybody's trying to scratch in their heads, trying to figure out how do we get those kids in the field? So I'm curious right. sort of about your path. Like were there big barriers for you? Did you felt, did you feel like your, your shooting clays made it easier to transition to hunting, I mean, I feel like that's kind of an obvious answer. You certainly had a, mm -hmm. a developed skill set, but what was your experience like? That's a really good question. I, and, I mean, I think to go back on what you said, I'm, I believe that your state championship for high school trap shooting has over 10,000 kids competing. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And uh, that is, for people that don't realize, 
I mean, that is unbelievable. Uh, it's it's amazing. I will I I want to come out to that too just to, to witness it. But um, yeah, I mean that to to see that many kids uh, competing in in play target sports is is uh, it's pretty it's fantastic. When I first started my state championship, I'm not kidding. You can look up you can look the uh, results up. I basically was competing against my sister in the <laughs> youth division. And but it's changed so much since then. And that was, you know, 16 years ago or however long, 17, 18 years ago. But uh, what you brought up is is I think something I, I wish that even like in the local government, the state and local and even, you know, national government, I, I, I wish they would uh, focus more on figuring out how to transition these kids into the hunting sports and if not transition them into hunting sports figure out a way to collect some of the uh collect some money off taxes of ammunition uh, for you know whatever to fund you know research or habitat management or anything like that because it's, it's a huge loss in my opinion right now but um i guess to more directly answer your question going back to that i i didn't really find any barriers to try to getting into hunting from clay target shooting uh if anything i would say it really did make it a lot easier because in a clay target environment it's a lot easier to teach kids the very basic things that are extremely important in hunting which are like safety and spatial you know awareness of your environment and uh, comfortability with a firearm and how to move and point a firearm and so to go from competitive target shooting or even just recreational target shooting at your local gun club into hunting made it much more comfortable and le much less intimidating. Yeah. Uh, I think for me as a younger kid, uh, it also really helped with the fun of it because my proficiency level of, of shooting, a the way that I started was went from shooting clay targets to the gun club that I shot at all the time. There's also a hunting club, so then, you know, we put some pheasants out, and I got to shoot pheasants, and then we go into chuckers, and then you start hunting wild birds. So the transition is really easy and fun because you go from, you know, you take a kid out that's never done it before, and you uh, a bird flushes, and they don't know what to do, and you got to make sure everybody's in a safe direction, and then they miss, and then it's not that fun. You know, but if you get a kid to learn how to shoot the gun and learn how to be aware of themselves and the safety aspect of everything. And they start hitting clay targets and they can go shoot a course. And then you take them out on a, in a field to go hunting and a bird flushes and they shoot it. You know, it's a lot easier to hit, you know, a pen raised pheasant uh, than it is a clay target, you know? So, you know, I think it's a great way to, to transition people into hunting and uh, in terms of how to do it. I think we just need, I think there's kind of a, a miscommunication between state and local I guess fish and wildlife game agencies and uh, like the, the gun clubs and the clay target organizations and stuff. And I think it would be fantastic to, to start doing marketing stuff like that at sporting clays tournaments or trap tournaments and stuff like that, uh, you know, have uh, do some co-promotional things and, and uh, you know, bring people like myself or other guys and, that are big uh, names in, in these clay target games and, and, uh, and, and work with us to help bring these kids over. I, I, you know, there's a, there's a huge potential for the, for all of this. The other thing that you got to realize too, is that a lot of these kids right now are all, all their expenses are, are covered by their parents, you know, when they're real young. And once they get into high school or college or depending on the family, you know, they're going to start having to pay for things and, and clay target shooting becomes a lot more expensive than, 
than hunting. Yeah. You know, so there's a really good time period there where that starts to transition uh, into the, you know, the kid being more financially responsible for themselves. And if, if we could figure out a way to, you know, kind of slowly push kids into, into that, then it's a great way to do it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if, uh, if I had more ideas, I, I might be paid to, to talk about them, but that's, that's about all I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some great stuff. I'm glad what I was going to ask you that you kind of clarified for me was really the progression of how you went from clays to the field, but you kind of followed mm -hmm. what seems like a very natural progression. Cause a lot of gun clubs, like you said, are hunt clubs. So, you know, it's right. pretty easy to, okay, I've, I've shot clays. Now I'm stepping over into the bird field and we're going to shoot some pen release, you know, pen raised birds. Yeah. And then your first, like your first, wild bird hunts did you have a mentor was somebody taking you out were you going with friends what did that look like yeah so um i mean my my mentor in in target shooting was my dad uh, when i was a little kid and okay. uh, you know obviously still is now and so uh he was you know he grew up hunting okay um and uh so it kind of was a natural thing for me i you know I, the first time i ever went hunting was with him so gotcha uh and so that's a really fun thing to do with your dad uh and your family and you know i have a, a younger sister as well who who hunts and arguably enjoys it more than I do. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so it just kind of naturally progressed that I'd go out to shooting targets with my dad. And then, you know, I'd go out and do a hunt at the club with my dad. And, uh, then we went into, you know, doing some duck and goose hunting, uh, as a family. And, you know, up until recently, most of all my hunting was with my family members and with my, with my, my dad's friends. And so my dad kind of taught me how to, how to do all that stuff. But, um, which I think for a young kid is about kind of like the perfect person, you know, I mean, how to build lifelong memories like that with your father is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that path, that pathway is deeply rooted in hunting history and tradition. And while it is an ideal path, that's the interesting thing is that not everybody has that. And that's where, you know, people like yourself and myself, we're trying to figure out how do we help people that don't have that, automatic you know i always call it like that was that was the easy way in because that was that was the way that i found it you know my dad brought me into hunting and then the other interesting thing is i shot a lot more birds before i ever shot a clay target but now yeah. having kind of gone on the journey that i've gone on i have a i have a one and a half year old son i can't imagine him not starting on clay targets and then moving to yeah. birds i mean that just seems right. so natural well it's a really good way to, to start somebody in learning how to shoot a shotgun because the environment can be so much more controlled. You Correct. know, you can set them up on a bird that's going to go exactly where, you know, it's going to go exactly when you call for it, you know, so it's, you can guarantee success in that way. Yeah. And which is when, especially when you're teaching kids and, and especially when you're teaching young kids, the success aspect of it is the most important because that's what they have fun with, you know, and it, it there's honestly being somebody who teaches for a living still, I mean, with, as many students as I have and as many hours as I've taught, it does not get old when you get a kid to hit their first target. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> the smile on their face and the excitement and, and, um, it's a really cool, a cool experience to share with somebody. And, you know, I've had, I've had, I have students that I was there when they hit their first one and, and was there with them on a squad when they won, you know, a local tournament and stuff. So it's cool to watch that progression, you know, and, and then to carry that over to, to hunting and, and, uh, you know, be able to go into, you know, bird hunting with experience and learning how to, knowing how to shoot the gun, how to move the gun, how to, what to do with your eyes, all, you know, all the mechanics involved in shooting and, and for the first time that you're hunting, know all those things and be comfortable doing it. 
uh, and then be able to take your first bird. And then in my case, if that's with your dad or, you know, with your dad and your dog, even better, those are cool memories to share. And, and those types of memories are what keep you wanting to do it. You know I mean? It's, it's really important. Yeah. It's cool that, you know, it's exciting that, you know, you, you're so much into this game and you have such a young son, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of cool memories to share. Yeah, definitely. I am, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously thankful for the opportunity that was provided to me by my dad. And, and I had some, I had some really good mentors that were even non-family members, some, some really good hunting mentors. So like, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but of course I'm, I'm really eager to pass that on and make sure that my son certainly has the opportunity to experience that stuff and try it. I I actually, it's funny you mentioned having kids hit their first target. I had kind of a first experience with that uh, last week I was shooting sporting clays with a mm-hmm. good friend of mine, Gary. We shoot pretty much every week and he brought his son who I believe is just going into fourth grade. So he, he's cool. young. He had been to the range before. I don't know how much he had shot, but you could tell, I mean, he's, we were, you know, Gary was working on, on stance and, and hold and everything. And he was, he was, I wouldn't say he was fighting the gun, but he's not at the point where it's just totally natural. Right. So he's kind of throwing the gun up and shooting right. and, we were, we didn't really have any expectations, but uh, at a few of the stations, he threw the gun up and he broke some clays. And I mean, the excitement between myself <laughs> and Gary and, and oh, yeah. the young kid, Jaden, I mean, oh my gosh, man, it was, it was just really fun. Oh yeah. No, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. That was good stuff. Well, oh man, we could, we could, we could certainly go on and on. I mean, those are, those are some important issues and it's, it's fun to riff on that stuff a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about, I want to talk about how, how shooting professionally and, you know, and shooting clay targets, how that sort of coexists for you with bird hunting, because Mm -hmm. certainly two different approaches and I'm curious how you take everything you know about shooting targets and preparing mentally and doing all that stuff that you do shooting clay targets. What do you take with you into the field? What do you leave behind? Yeah. And how does that how does that, that does that relationship exist? That's a that's a great question. You know, I would say first and foremost, the uh, I think one thing that allows me to appreciate hunting more is that I am basically paid to shoot you know i mean it's my job and so so but my job is to go out and compete and 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 basically win clay target shoots right so in a way just as anybody else's job can be there are times when it gets old you know yeah yeah i mean and so uh but then to be able to take that and and take the core essence of what i really love which is the shooting aspect of it and then to go out and do something where it's not for score and it's not it's not about, you know, nobody's going to look at the scoreboard online and say, oh, we didn't do that well this weekend. Or, oh, look, he did really well that weekend. It's not about that. And it's about enjoying the beauty of what's around you and being in a place where, you know, the world doesn't know you are. And you get to, to witness and observe some really beautiful things and be with the people that you enjoy. It kind of like uh, over it's like a like you <laughs> i don't even know how to describe, describe it but <laughs> it makes it so much more real i guess sure uh and so it you just appreciate it more because uh you know there's nothing on the line and and it's something you're really doing for fun uh, so i can't describe to you how much i love hunting and i wish that we could do it every day all day uh but you can't which makes it fun yes. and uh so 
to start with that, you know, I, that makes me really enjoy it. But the what's so cool about having the background that I have in, in competitive target shooting and bringing that over into, into hunting is um, there's a couple of things that I bring over with me. Number one is presence. Uh, and I talk about that a lot in my in my teaching uh, and, and I stress it hugely in my competing where essentially, you know, translated into hunting, you're walking with your dog, goes on point, you send in a flushing dog or you flush the bird and it goes up. And what is your first initial reaction physiologically? You know, it's uh, it's anxiety or an adrenaline rush or whatever happens when a bird flushes, you're just, uh, you know, overwhelmed. You got to get to the bird and then, you, you know, something goes wrong and you make a bad shot. You know, yeah. that level of stress, learning how to control that and learning what that is really and how not to have it happen. That's huge because so many times when I go out hunting and now I'm at the point where when I go hunting, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be hired to host a quail hunt somewhere or instances like that where I'm hunting with people that I don't know. And I'm essentially a host for a hunt. You get to watch as a coach. I can see the mindset of somebody when the bird's on point or when the dog's on point and they start to get anxious and, and, you know, you're, you start to elevate your awareness and you, and then, uh, you know, all you can see that happening in them. So number one, the first thing I would say is that really helps you make good shots is that it's the presence and, and ability to control your conscious mindset when you're hunting, which a lot of people don't really think about. And so, well, first off, are you going to want me, do you want me to talk about how to do those things? I mean, yes, yes, I do. Like I'm resisting stopping you here at every turn and asking, <laughs> asking you questions. I mean, this stuff is no, like, please ask questions. Yeah, yeah, no, this is right yeah. in my wheelhouse. I mean, the, the presence thing is huge. You were talking about that with David Stewart on the shot cam episode. That is, that is one of those things that I work on personally because it's human nature. I don't know if it's today's day and age or what, but I mean, our minds are going a mile a minute. We're thinking about all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. And there, I can't tell you how many times I go on, uh, you know, a grouse hunt and I have just a beautiful walk in the woods, but I was thinking about all kinds of stuff. And I get back to the truck and I'm like, man, like I was just thinking like the whole time I was thinking what's around the next curve. And I wasn't just right. enjoying that walk in the woods. And that's, you know, right. that's that being present thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on top of that, you know, so basically to, I mean that the whole thing, the whole concept of presence, not only does it, does it influence that, but it also helps you make good shots and, and brings t time into, into more of a real time, if that makes sense. What, what I mean by that is when we talk about clay target shooting, we always talk about a pre-shot routine, right? So we'll talk about your setup, your visualization. We talk about your planning, your strategy. And then when we go into hunting, people think, well, none of that is really applicable because we don't know where the bird's coming. We don't right. know when it's coming. And so just kind of throw that out the window and just kind of shoot off instinct. Well, yes, in a way, but, but a lot of no to that. Uh, basically, you know, if you have the ability to have your dog, you know, if you're walking out on a field and you don't have a dog and a bird flushes, that's a little bit different. But if you have the, the time to set up you know, if you're hunting with partners to set up in a good position, kind of get your spatial awareness about you, figure out where good lanes are for birds. You know, you can do the same type of stuff that we do in clay target shooting in out in the field and stuff like that allows you to make much better shots, much more planned shots, much more controlled moves with your, with your gun. If you have a time to set good balance, to position yourself right, 
Um, but also during the shot, if you can make the shot in a very present mindset where we're not worried about missing or we're not worried about the bird getting away, but instead we're, we're thinking about what's going on right now. You know, I use that acronym a lot for youth shooting clinics. So it's called win what's important now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what's important when a bird flushes is that you get the gun up and you make a good safe shot. And so we can do those things correctly if you're thinking the right way. And then what's important to note is that your conscious thought process or your conscious thought pattern by definition is controllable, right? So we can fall into the trap of going into like a, a panic attack when the bird gets up. But if we understand that that re- physiological reaction can be controlled and we can stop it, it's, as literally, it's literally as easy as controlling it and stopping it. Uh, and so that's one huge thing. And if you were to go out hunting with me, you, you would see that transpire in the fact that I might not necessarily always be the first shot off, but I'm probably going to be the last, meaning it's going to be the one that brings the bird down. You know? gotcha. And uh, so it's not always about trying to get to the bird as quick as possible, which incites a mindset that it's time you got to rush, bring the gun up and then we make a bad mount or we get hung up or we the head's not on the gun or whatever but if you make an you know in shooting there's this stupid thing but it's very relatable and true and that's um slow is fast and fast is slow yeah, right yeah. so uh and the same thing can be said about hunting birds so it's all for me one the one thing i take into into that is just that mindset of being present being calm physically being calm mentally and making a good shot, you know, on top of that, uh, when I go, uh, you know, in my competitive part of my job, what, what's also very important to me is like, I call it like the biomechanics of the shot. So the way my body moves, the way I'm moving the gun, my balance, my rotation, my stance, all those things are very important in, in target shooting as they are in hunting. And you can bring that into that setup aspect where, if you get again, if you get a, a, a dog to be on point, you have time to set up. Think about those things. Think about, you know, am I standing in a position where I have a lot of mobility, a lot of range of mobility? Um, am I standing in a in a in a position that's balanced? Because if I'm not as if a bird flushes this way, I'm going to lose balance and not be able to make a good shot or not even be able to get my gun over there. You know, so uh, is my gun in a good position? Uh, you know, unmounted, obviously, to be able to come up into the shoulder correctly. You know, if you have somewhat of a list or a routine that's habit while you're hunting, it starts, you start to, you know, increase your proficiency in bringing down birds. Uh, and it's directly compatible with, with shooting clay targets. The only thing that's different is it's a target versus bird. Yeah, that, that, that was a very well described ideology in the in the sense that I was thinking about it because I am I am that person that you know I basically learned how to wing shoot trying to get a shot off on a rough grouse Mm -hmm. through cover and like I'm certain that that has you know it's really fueled a sense of urgency like trying to just throw the gun up and get the shot off so I shoot fast a lot and Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get the shot off you know I'm learning I've shot a lot more clays this summer than I ever have and I plan to continue to do so because I just enjoy it. But do you have a, a lot of this stuff is natural for you because you've worked on it and you've practiced it and you've right. made it a habit. 
But when mm-hmm. you are, let's say you are walking in on a point, do you have mm-hmm. like a mantra or like, what's your, you know, if we're talking golf, what's your swing thought? What's going through your yeah. mind at that time? Great question. I think it would be cool. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, I mean, my full length do it mantra, I guess, in, in shooting. Yes. Uh, in target shooting is extremely detailed. I'm going to give you a rough outline of that. And then I'm going to tell you what mine is in hunting. And so you can see the similarities. Cool. So when I'm in, when I go into a station and I, and I walk into the box and I, and the first thing I'm going to do is kind of, I'm, I'm big on spatial awareness, right? So I'm trying to observe what I have in front of me. I'm looking at the gaps in the trees. I'm looking at the topography. I'm looking at everything in terms of what's in front of me. I want to know it really well because that helps me read the line of the target, right? So it helps me gauge distances better. It helps me gauge the line of the target better because say I have a burr that looks like it's hugging the ground, but if the ground is rolling then the target's dropping and I don't realize it. So I'm trying to get a very good understanding of my, uh, of my surroundings. Secondly, I'm going to look at, start to look at where the traps are so I can see where they're coming from. Then I'm going to look at something like where are they, are there piles of targets somewhere I can see where they're going. Sure. Gives me a good understanding of exactly what the target's going to be before I get the only two chances I get to look at it without shooting it. Once I do that, then I start thinking about my stance. Okay. So I'll, I'll look at the pair. I'll look at the, at the targets and uh, then I'll position my body in a, in a way that both of the places that I have decided that I want to shoot them. I know that I have very little tension because that's important because what it allows me to do is have a lot of mobility around those break points so that if something does get thrown off of my plan a little bit, I'm not going to be restricting my movement in any way that's going to influence the movement of my gun. Okay, so then basically after I've made that plan, figured out the line of the targets, figure out where I want to shoot them, figure out where I want to look, figure out where my body is understand the background and the surroundings and everything like that. Then I set my gun up in the position that I know where the targets are coming from and I'll call pull and I'll make that move. Okay. So bring that into hunting. If I have a dog that goes on point, the first thing I'm doing is trying to see if, you know, I don't, I hunt with my dogs a lot and, and, uh, the one that we have, um, she may be pointing a certain way, but her eyes are looking another way and that's where the bird is. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so the first thing I do is I look at the eyes of the dog and see, okay, where's the bird? If I, if I figure out I have a really good understanding of where the bird is, then I start to look at my surroundings. Okay. Do I have lane, lanes of trees in any certain way where if I was a bird, I'd let, you know, it'd be easier to fly into that way, which if you're hunting rough grouse is generally the opposite of where it's going to go. <laughs> yep. But, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> so, but I'm looking for that. So I'm looking at, you know, lanes, I'm looking at uh, you know, positioning of where are all my hunters, where are my dogs, because the bird's probably not going to fly in that direction. So let's position us in a way that it's going to fly away from and hopefully into a clear path. Once I figure that out, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look more towards the trees, make sure that I have a good movement all around me so that I'm not going to run into any branch. I hunt a lot of public land up in Michigan. So a lot of times I don't have much room to move around if I have to. So I try to position myself in a way that I can move my gun and have the biggest range of, of a shot as possible. Then after that, and I kind of figure out where I think the bird's going to go. And I know where all my, my friends or family members are and the dogs. I'm going to try to position my feet and my body in a way that I, again, have a good range of motion in all the areas that I can shoot. Uh, and then pretty much after that, I'm just bringing the gun. I, I'm not pre-mounting the gun, but I'm 
one huge mistake that I see a lot of upland hunters make is, is their position of the gun being down when the bird flushes. It's, I, I never approach a, a bird coming out of a flush pre-mounting my gun, obviously. But I also don't ever approach it with the gun just hanging underneath my arm. Yeah, yeah. If I bring my gun out in front of my body, I can bring it up into my shoulder a lot easier than I can trying to bring it up out of my arm and then into my shoulder. So I bring, I'll bring the gun out, but not up. And then I, I'll send my cocker in and we'll flush the bird and, and then I'll take the shot. So it's a very, very similar process, just slight subtle differences. But what it allows me to do is be fully prepared for where my shots are, you know, so if, if the bird flies in a way that I'm not going to be able to make that shot, I'm not going to even take the shot, uh, you know, so, but I, I have in a way almost visualized or seen before it happens where the birds can go and where I can make those shots. And by almost marking where all my other hunters are and my dogs, I know, you know, where I can't move, I know where, what's unsafe. And then I, and, you know, hopefully we get, the opportunity to set everybody up so we can kind of cover every direction. And, you know, other than that, basically if the bird flushes and it's not in a position I can shoot it, then I just get down. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 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 Oh man, that is, that's really great stuff. That's, that's really cool. And I think it kind of goes without saying, I mean, this, you have a unique setup in that you're talking about pointing dogs and then you have a flushing dog, which gives you mm-hmm. that extra ability to sort of set and prepare because you can send the flush right. in where a lot of people just right. have a pointing dog and you have to flush the bird yourself. Although mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes, you know, rough grouse in particular, if you want the bird to flush, all you got to do is stop. So if you're thinking a little yeah. bit consciously, you can stop in a good place and try to set yourself mm-hmm. up like that in the same way, which yeah. is which is cool. But I yeah. like that. Uh, at the risk of going way too deep into stuff that you and I could talk about for a long time, I just want to yeah. ask you real quick about visualization. Mm-hmm. How how much do you work visualization into, and we can go target shooting here, like when you step up to every station, do you, do you play – in your mind, the target going and the target like shattering and turning to dust. Yeah. I mean, I even do it in hunting to be honest, okay. but, uh, so visualization is, is really unbelievably powerful. Um, I agree. I don't use it enough, yeah. but I totally agree with that. It's, it's really, I did a, uh, so I use visualization in a way that I try to get as much levels of information and, and as much as many different senses as possible. And what I mean by that is visualization is something that can incite a physiological response in yourself. So I do this really cool. It's not mine. I can't take credit for it. I heard it on another podcast of the sports psychologist. His name is sports psych Steve. If that's, <laughs> if I need to reference anybody, I'm, but he did I'm this jotting really that cool... down. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, he did this really cool demonstration on a podcast where, and if anybody's listening to this now, don't try it if you're driving. But he gets everybody <laughs> to close your eyes. And uh, then he walks you through this really cool visualization where, long story short, in summary, you're it's at night. You're really hungry. You're at your house alone. The lights are off. You walk into your kitchen. Lights are off. You open the fridge. The light of the fridge turns on. There's only one thing in your fridge. It's a lemon. And you reach in and you grab the lemon. And you walk over and, and as you're walking over the counter, he's talking about like what the what the uh, lemon feels like, how heavy it is, the waxiness of it. You grab a knife out of your counter, you cut the lemon and you and you 
what does that you know he's he's uh, describing the sound of the lemon as you're cutting it yeah and the citrus spray and, and just walking you through all this process and then you know you cut it into quarters you pick up a slice of the lemon and then you stick it in your mouth and you feel the the that sourness and then you know he it's it basically takes five ten minutes and but then as you're listening to this it's giving you a picture in your mind and and your mouth starts to water and you're you're like squinting your face and, you, and but you're there's no lemon you're just thinking about it right, right right and so it's a great example of how powerful visualization is because you basically just talked yourself into eating something sour and how your body would physiologically respond to that. Now, you could take that example and bring it into shooting where let's say I have to break a pair to win a world championship. And if I miss one, I tie. And if I miss them both, I lose. Naturally, what's going to happen is your heart rate starts to go up. You can feel your your heart in your in your uh, in your chest and in your neck and in your hands and you and you and you start to shake a little bit and you don't have good motor skill control of your hands and your body and your eyes start to dilate and you don't see very well and you bring your gun up and you call pull and you go into panic mode you can't really see the target really well and you make a bad shot and you miss but if you use visualization i mean you can literally use it in that instance to bring yourself back into that present moment of not recognizing those external surroundings, not having that physiological response to that moment that you've uh, decided to define as the most important pair you've ever shot in your life and change your, literally change your physiological response to what's happening in that moment and then make a good shot as if it was just in practice. And so I use that a lot in, for me, not to that level on every pair because a lot of pairs, you know, you don't have that level of response to what's happening. Sure. But I definitely 100% use visualization in terms of feeling uh, and seeing and hearing. So I, I visualize the feeling of how slow I want my body to rotate as I, as I'm connecting to a bird or a target, I'm feeling how controlled I want my balance to be or how slow my gun needs to come up or what it looks like to see the target really, really well, almost to the level of being able to see it rotate and see the shadows on it. And then feeling the gun go off on your shoulder and watching the target blow up and hearing the trapper say dead pair. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the more detailed you can get in your visualization, the more uh, effective it is. And so, I mean, I have just like you were to watch uh, uh, earlier, I said I study other really good athletes, like some other guys that are really good and very visibly, uh, very, they have very good visual cues of that what, uh, when they're visualizing is somebody like Jason Day in the PGA. You can see his facial reactions as he's closing his eyes and visualizing the shot he's about to take. Look at Steph Curry when he's making free throw shots in the NBA. And, and you can see his eyes track the ball movement. He, he does other physical cues all the time, like the being a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. I can't stand him, but he's such a good example. <laughs> but, uh, the, but the whole thing with the mouth guard always being in the exact same position, exactly the same amount of dribbles every time, exactly where he puts his hands on the ball every time. You know, so th- those routines that you see incorporate visualization and really good athletes do them before every every shot every pair whatever it is uh and different guys do it to different levels and to more or less efficiency with it you know so you'll see somebody like myself if you look at my career 
10, 15 years ago when I first started to try it, I've always been somebody that's that's been very analytical in my approach to uh, shooting. So I would time uh, and study my own pre-shot routines. And at one point, my pre-shot routine was basically 37 seconds in between every pair. Now it's about 12 seconds. Wow. So, uh, But I'm doing exactly the same thing as I was 10, 15 years ago that used to take me almost 40 seconds. I've just gotten a lot better at it, so it takes me less time. You don't see it as well if you were to watch me. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's extremely important. And, and I, I bring the same thing into hunting. You know, I, I visualize before the bird flushes the level of calmness that I want to have and not the level of anxiety or chase mode that I want to be in, you know, just to reinforce that I want to be able to make a good controlled, slow and easy shot rather than a, a bad uncontrolled shot. Yeah, certainly there is uh, something to be said about, you know, whipping the gun up and getting a terrible mount where you're not looking anywhere near where the gun's pointing. I mean, what you why even shoot? You know, it's a worthless right, shot. Exactly. Like take <laughs> yeah. your, take your time. Yeah, why waste the ammo? Yeah, exactly. I man, that is something that I am with hunting season just around the corner. I'm like really excited about that. I'm going to have to work on that because I especially the calmness. I think I could benefit yeah. a lot from that. And a lot of it is hunting in the rough grouse woods where you just feel yeah. so rushed because you don't oh, get yeah. you don't get the visual lock that you get elsewhere. I went yeah. out hunting west last year and I actually shot I su- surprised myself how well I shot out west because I th- I think I was just generally more calm and more mm-hmm. obviously a better visual lock on the target and boy yeah amazing how much that helps right yeah it does make a big and i'll tell you like being somebody that went from target shooting into hunting i've only started hunting grouse rough grouse within the past couple years just because i haven't had the opportunity to do it and um it is a lot different and you know grouse and woodcock hunting up in northern michigan you know the windows are shorter a lot of times you know i mean I mean, you know, I don't, anybody that's listening to this podcast probably knows the difference between hunting a grouse and hunting a pheasant. Right. But, but it's cool uh, to hear you talk about it. That's for sure. Yeah. And it it is so much more challenging and, and it incites those physiological responses even more than uh, something like a pheasant does. And so, you know, in terms of the level of calmness that you have to have to make good shots, the ease, absolute easiest thing to do to help with that is just if you get time before the bird flushes, just take a deep breath and exhale slowly and just feel the tension leave your body and start with like your uh, start with your head and feel it leave your eyebrows and then your neck and your shoulders and then your core and and just almost visualize by seeing that tension leave your body and then just nice and calm and relaxed and then if you can flush the bird and i cannot describe to you how much better your shots will be awesome man that is that is really cool stuff uh we could definitely go on for for quite a while but we're going to we're going to we're going to talk more about this when we bring you back and i want listeners to get kind of a taste of this stuff and and we're gonna we're gonna solicit some some questions next time we bring you on but a couple of a couple of quick questions here before we let you go uh do you have uh since you've kind of transitioned into uh doing a little bit more hunting what's do you do you have a favorite species what have been some of your favorite upland bird hunts my favorite that's a good question. Honestly, my favorite upland hunting is, uh, oh man, it's hard to say. I would say, uh, I want to say for the hunting aspect of it, it's rough grouse, but I really like hunting woodcock just because I have a little cocker spaniel that I got, uh, two years ago. That's our, our flushing dog. And 
just a cool memory of the very first bird she ever got. I was hoping it would be a woodcock because she's a cocker and it ended up being a woodcock. And it was just one of the most amazing retrieves I've ever seen. Uh, and it, as her first bird and I got it all on video. And, uh, and so I just love hunting woodcock just because of that. But in terms of the shots, I, I would have to say it's definitely rough grouse. hunting. I mean, they're in the same area where I hunt, but there's just something cool about hearing that yeah. helicopter noise coming out. Of, I actually have another hilarious video, and it's some of it's on a shot cam too. I was hunting with my dad and his friend, and uh, I have this, uh, my dad and Randy are in front of me, and all of a sudden Randy like jumps down and starts looking around, and he yells "grouse, grouse, grouse!" And I said, "Randy, that's a helicopter!" And literally, a helicopter flew over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I have it all on video. It was hilarious. But I mean. <laughs> But grouse hunting is probably, I would say that the species wise is my favorite. All right. Awesome, man. That's cool. What, all right. So this is, this is the other one that I was super curious to ask you about. I have, yeah. I have an idea. Well, I've, I've heard you talk about your target shooting gun. You shoot a, mm -hmm. you shoot a Parazzi, right? Yeah. I yeah. shoot a, a Parazzi high tech. Yeah. And so I think, you know, many people could probably conjure up what that gun looks like. It's probably pretty big, heavy, long barrels, that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, what, uh, what do you, what do you like to carry in the upland fields and woods? Yeah. So my, so my target gun is it's a Parazzi high tech. It's got 34 inch barrels, fixed choke, uh, weighs a little over nine pounds. So the absolute opposite of that for, for upland hunting. Um, I have a couple of guns I like to use. My, my, I'm a huge side-by-side -side guy, and if um, if I could shoot a side-by-side -side in clay target shooting without people thinking that I had lost my mind, uh, <laughs> I would probably do that. But uh, so any chance that I get to shoot a side-by-side -side when I'm out hunting birds, uh, I do that. And being a side-by-side -side guy and being a, somebody that loves the history of shooting, my favorite gun to use is... Uh, it's not the best upland gun, but it's, uh, I have a, a 20 gauge, uh, model 21, um, Dang. that I got, uh, from it's, uh, it was built in the late thirties and, uh, it was beautifully taken care of. Um, and it weighs just over six pounds. Um, and it's a great gun to use, but I, it was the first gun. This is kind of where I'm going to sound a little spoiled, but you know, obviously being someone that does this for a living, you, you the guns that i use in clay target shooting i don't have to pay for because they're in my contract but this was the first one that i spent a, a good amount of money on on purchasing because I, I appreciate the beauty and the craftsmanship and the history behind that gun yeah uh and so the um just because of that i just can't not i cannot take it out in really rough hunting because i just, i it hasn't gotten a scratch on it for me yet and i just can't do it so if i know that it's going to be real thick cover then i'm not going to use that one uh so how long the are the barrels that on that use, uh they're 26 okay yeah and then uh so if if um no 28 i'm sorry okay if i'm not going to use that then i have two other ones uh one is a um, just a Beretta A400 28 gauge explore, uh, with, I don't even know what length it's, whatever the shortest barrels sure. are on it. Yeah, yeah. And I like that just because it's, you know, obviously very light and easy to carry around and it's a 28 gauge. And so that's fun to, to shoot, uh, for me. And then, um, uh, the other gun that I, if it's the absolute thickest cover, I know it's going to be real young cuts and stuff like that. Uh, I take a, uh, a, a 20, it, a 20 gauge i would like it to be a 28 but um my home gun club it was a kind of a cool 
thing when I won the world championship in 2017 uh, in Budapest. I got home to a surprise party, basically, that my home gun club bought me this gun to go hunting with. Uh, so I like to use that one. It's a, it's another A400 20 gauge, but it's synthetic. And so I joke around that uh, I use it as my, my tree cutting tool and my gun. So <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't care if that one gets beat up a lot because it's just all black and, and synthetic and still light and easy to carry around. Yeah, that's um, a bread. They can take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at heart, I'm a side-by-side guy. My dad hunts with a random side-by-side every time. And um, I, I just like the history of shooting. And so anytime I can pick up one of those guns, it's just, it, to me, hunting is about the fun of it. And even though sometimes those are more difficult to use, it's, I'd rather, rather use them. It's more fun. Yeah. Oh man, that is what great. What do you stuff. use? I saw some pictures on your uh, social media of an AYA. Uh, so I, the, I shot an AYA. It's not mine. I shot some of those last year at uh, Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, a little number, oh, yeah. number two 20 gauge, and then a number one 28 gauge. Really, really nice guns. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Uh, over, over the off season this year, I bought an RBL from Connecticut Shotgun, which is cool. a 28 gauge. So that, this will be my first season hunting with a 28 gauge, which I'm pretty excited about yeah. I've enjoyed shooting yeah. that over the off season. Uh I also have a, a, a an original Savage Fox Sterlingworth in 16 gauge which I've been shooting oh, the last cool. couple of years. But yeah, I I recently kind of kind of got turned on to side by sides within the last three, four years and I I just love them kind of like you. They're just something about them. Yeah. Something about it. Yeah, yep. it is. Yeah, totally. It, like when you close it and you look down that picture oh. and you got those two sides, you know, it's just, there's just something about it. Yeah. Well, Hey, I'm happy to hear that you use them. Obviously you're a real good shot so you can make up for any, uh, any <laughs> deficiencies, but you hear, I mean, obviously at the professional level, everybody's shooting over unders. And so there's, I'm sure that's not by accident. And I've, I've seen some discussion and some writing about how, you know, way back when in the old pigeon shooting days, I mean, guys would shoot side by sides and do very, very well. But there's something about over unders and that single siding plane that obviously, I mean, do you think that is kind of like that that 99.9 percentile thing where you're just getting that much improvement on it? Yeah, that's that's another good question, and really, it goes down to. So, you know, I think if you were to ask any of the top shooters in my game, they would agree that. There's no better pointing gun than a single barrel gun, just because of how small the barrel is. You don't have, to, you know, when think about a bird coming from under your barrel, to be able to look around two barrels is harder than one, obviously. Sure, so sure. you have a little bit more visibility, but a, a single barrel gun can be too fast and not controllable enough. So you want a little bit more weight there, and so an, an over and under is better. But what's harder about a side-by-side versus an over-under is, is basically that the sighting plane of a side-by-side is too wide. And in a game that, I mean, people think of shooting clay targets as being something where you're throwing a pattern out there. You don't have to have a high level of accuracy. But I can take, not just me, anybody at the top can take a gun out and, and a bird at 45 yards say all right i'm going to shoot the front half and shoot the front half i'm going to shoot the back half and shoot the back half and the top and bottom with a shotgun and it's possible and i do it all the time uh, as a demonstration and so the level of accuracy needed to point a gun is very important and if you think about this you know if you're trying to point at something at 45 yards and you're using something like a, a four by four versus a pin needle you can be a lot more accurate with the placement of a pin needle than a four by four. 
taking those two things into extremes. So the, the, the thinner, even though in, in clay target shooting, we're not aiming that level of proprioception that we have with our eyes and, and the eye hand coordination of placing something somewhere in our peripheral, we can place a lot more accurately with a, with an over and under than a side by side. And so really the over and under is, is the way to go. Um, in, in shooting for target sports. But in terms of me being able to shoot side by side, uh, I'll tell you, I can miss birds with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> I had, the first time I ever went grouse hunting with my dad, he, you know, we're driving out there and he's telling me, you know, this is going to be really hard. It's not going to be easy. Like you're used to I'm like dad, I got this somewhere, <laughs> you know, not going to be a problem. And the first grouse that flushes, I had a, a semi-automatic and bang, bang, bang. I took three shots. <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, I think something's wrong with this gun. <laughs> <laughs> of course you I'm, did. <laughs> I, I was like, oh man. I, I mean, so it doesn't matter how good of a shooter you are, how many world championships you've won, you'll still miss a grouse. <laughs> David Radulovich, man, you said it. I love it, dude. Oh, uh, that's great, man. Well, I dude, I can't thank you enough for for the uh, the quick turnaround. Uh, we were just chatting a couple of days ago, and we got off yeah. this podcast. I'm I just I really enjoyed talking to you as I knew I would. Uh, we we uh, we have a lot of common interests, so that was cool. And I, I hope the listeners enjoy it. But we're bringing you back on. Um, I hope yeah. it goes without saying, man. But if you ever want to come hunt rough grouse with me, you uh, you got an open invite, man. I'd love to take you out. Absolutely, and same goes to you. I appreciate the invite to be on in the podcast and. And like I told you in private, I think that everything that Project Upland is doing is is so amazing. I, you know, the being somebody that is heavily involved in youth shooting, to see the obsession with, you know, and also working in the industry of having to go to the SCI shows and and the uh, shot shows and stuff like that, and see just the high level of money and marketing involved in big game hunting and and all that stuff. It's it's you know previously has kind of you know worked over upland hunting and and uh uh duck and goose hunting and to see the level of content that you guys produce and and the cool factor of how beautiful it looks in the magazines and on in the social media and how young you guys are it's so cool to see that i mean i have kids that you know follow your instagram account and and uh you know get the magazine and it's just exciting to me as somebody who who loves these type of shooting sports so much more, um, you know, guys that are passionate about it and, and putting in effort to, to make it, you know, as cool as you guys are. Uh, so, you know, I have to thank you guys on that. You know, I listen to your podcast. I think it's really cool. I try to tell as many people as I can about it because it's very educational uh, and informative and fun to listen to. So, you know, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Man, that's those are those are very kind words, David. I I I thank you for for that, and we appreciate your support and you following us. Uh, before we let you go, where can people where can they find out more about you? Uh, if somebody wants to wants to go through your coaching, and then where can mm-hmm. they listen to uh, Behind the Break? Yeah, so my own personal website is dradulovich.com. Uh, it's just D R A D U L O V I C H dot com. Uh, and I have my teaching schedule up there. I have a lot of articles that I write, um, some about gun design, some about sports psychology, about techniques and mechanics of shooting. So that's always fun. Um, you can even book a lesson right there on my website. Uh, and of course, social media. My Instagram is dradulovich. I don't use Twitter, uh, Facebook. I just use it as a business account. And then 
you know, all my contact information is there. So if anybody wants to ask me any questions or anything like that, feel free to send me an email or, or anything like that. For the Behind the Break, that is, uh, you can search for it on the Apple Store or on the behindthebreak.com is our website for that. It's just a Sporting Clays podcast, and we interview a lot of uh, industry guys and shooters and coaches and, and everybody in that game. And you can find that, you know, on the website, on the social media, everything is behind the break on that. So it's pretty easy to find. Excellent. Yeah. People looking to take their shooting to the next level and learn more about sporting clays. That is a, that is a number one source right there. So keep up the good work, man. Thanks a lot. I hope you have a great weekend and we'll be in touch. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. See you, David. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. The podcast is also brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Dogs or Collars, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, Gordian Sons Outfitters, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.